Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. The Biden administration's strong response to the surprise attack on Israel has won praise from around the globe this week, including from some of the president's toughest Republican critics. That work the president and Secretary of State Blinken are doing is critical. I've been on a lot of these trips before, and it's showcasing how the administration is meeting the moment or doing the best they can to do that in real time. In contrast, the U.S. House of Representatives remains effectively shut down thanks to the dysfunction of the Republican majority. Despite nominating Congressman Jim Jordan in a series of secret votes behind closed doors, they're no closer to electing a speaker than they were last week. As Susan Glasser wrote in The New Yorker this week, the chaos party, it appears, is going to keep on chaosing for a while. This unseemly spectacle of internal Republican disarray could hardly have come at a more embarrassing moment for the party. I'm joined now by Andrea Mitchell, chief foreign affairs correspondent for NBC News, and Susan Glasser, who's a staff writer, as I just mentioned, at The New Yorker. So before we get to the dysfunction here, I did want to start uh, by asking you both about Secretary Blinken remarks. I want to start with you, Susan, because they are walking a very tricky tightrope. I mean, you've been on these trips. I've been on these trips. The objectives they're laying out, standing by Israel, uh, worrying about the hostages, preventing this from spreading, dealing with the humanitarian crisis, those can be conflicting a bit. Tell us a little bit about what you thought about his remarks and what is trickiest there. Well, look, first of all, this is a, a moment in time and a part of the world where showing up matters. And mm -hmm. I was really struck by the fact that Secretary Blinken, uh, you know, is doing what has become expected of a secretary of state in the Middle East, which is to show up. He's been, as he pointed out, to six countries. I believe he's going to be going back mm -hmm. to Israel to meet once again with Prime Minister Netanyahu. This is an intensive kind of diplomacy, frankly, in a way that we haven't seen in, in recent years. And it's a reminder, by the way, that no matter how much you want to pivot to Asia or somewhere else, uh, that the Middle East uh, tends to get a vote and tends to pull American presidencies into uh, their consuming dysfunction. I think the trick for the secretary and for President Biden is how do you hug Israel close uh, while at the same time being able to serve as a, a kind of an honest intermediary with what you're hearing from those Gulf uh, allies and partners? It's, it's going to be tested this week with whatever military response we see. It's very tricky. And Andrea, We've been on a number of trips to the Middle East yeah. together over the course of time, and you've covered the region for many, many years. The secretary is in Egypt today. I want to start there and what you think his objectives are there and then ask you also about Israel because he's going back there tomorrow. What are you hearing from your sources at Absolutely. state? Well, in Egypt, it was get that Rafah crossing open. He was promised and announced yesterday that that was going to open and that American citizens could leave and others could leave, and Egypt never delivered. Now, what they're hearing is also that Hamas is blocking some of it. But mm -hmm. Egypt clearly wants better guarantees that there aren't going to be terrorists coming through uh, embedded mm -hmm. with the others. They want more guarantees. They probably want more money. Uh, they're looking for that from the U.S., from the Saudis, perhaps. But they're looking for a better deal for them by saying that the road is in rubble and that they can't get out, that could be fixed by now. So the fact is, Egypt is not on board yet. So that has to be done. Maybe it was done during these meetings. Mm -hmm. He's about to leave. He'll go back to Jordan and then on to Israel tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And the important thing is also to get the water started. Mm -hmm. and Jake Sullivan said today that the water is going to be delivered. What the people in Europe and around the world are seeing is the devastation in Gaza. Yeah. And last week's horror and the savagery of Hamas's attack mm -hmm. becomes a fading memory to populations in Europe that are just constitutionally anti-Israeli to start with. There was a great deal of empathy and sympathy for Israel. So there's a lot of American concern. You heard it from the secretary today, that dual message. We're standing with Israel. Israel has an obligation. They have a need. It's they have to take out Hamas. They can't have Hamas, which is now the equivalent to ISIS living next door. Mm -hmm. But, but, and the big but that they're saying privately, very importantly, and I'm sure he's going to say it tomorrow in Israel, face-to-face -to, -face to Netanyahu, and he's saying it all over the region, they have to do this according to the rules of law. And that means 
you know, not collective punishment mm. for what are the innocent Palestinians who are not all, by every, every expert's account, not all Palestinians are aligned with Hamas. Mm. There hasn't been an election since 2006. Mm -hmm. There's a whole generation that has grown up, and they've grown up with hostilities, and they may be, you know, certainly more militant than other populations, but they're not bought into the Hamas leadership. Yeah, there's that more than two million people there. Many of them are attack. refugees from past wars, of exactly. course, as well. I, I want to, I mean, I, even as Secretary Blinken is walking this tricky tightrope, um, there is a lot of dysfunction here in Washington. And <laughs> the House is coming back this week. Um, there are, there is a bipartisan support for additional assistance to Israel, but they're kind of stalled. Can you explain to us, you wrote an article about this, con continue chaos. I think is the quote from it. What is the impact of this? What kind of assistance might be stalled that Israeli, Israel really needs or humanitarian assistance for others who are suffering? Well, it really is an irony here, right? Uh, Republicans in recent years have literally sort of stumbled over each other in the effort to be the most pro-Israel uh, party and to be the most vocal defender within that party. And yet they are sort of hamstrung. They can't even pass, like, token resolutions of support for Israel because they literally can't function right now in the House of Representatives after they allowed a, a small faction of eight members of their party to take out the Republican speaker and have been unable. It's going to be almost two weeks since they did that. They've been unable to come up with a replacement. Now we're in a situation that I just find absolutely remarkable, which is that there was an election inside the House Republican conference this week. Steve Scalise, the number two Republican, won that election. He won uh, a majority of his colleagues. What he couldn't do was win over the entirety of this very divided Republican faction. So now what's happening? The guy who lost that election has now emerged as the candidate. And so is saying that his uh, colleagues, Jim Jordan is saying that his colleagues should fall in line behind him. Uh, talk about the sore loser caucus. I just find it remarkable, right? So first of all, of course, Jim Jordan was a key uh, proponent of Donald Trump's, you know, lies about the 2020 election. Here he is, the sore loser, basically saying, well, no, I, I, I deserve the right to become speaker now, even though the guy who beat me in that election, he had to drop out. It's, it's a remarkable turn of events. What they may have to do is short term get the Democrats to agree to empower Patrick McHenry mm -hmm. to at the least speaker pro tem right to now be, to be this to be a speaker pro tem and get something to the floor to do a big Ukraine and Israel supplemental to get some things done, even through a discharge petition, but to get that moving, because this is critical. And you will, I think, find Democratic and Republican support to pull that together and get past the 217. And meanwhile, we're just all waiting to see what additional aid is needed. And as things are stalled here, that could have an impact around the world, including with assistance to Ukraine. So it's just certainly is a lot to watch. Susan Glasser, Andrea Mitchell, it's such a pleasure having you here and sharing your expertise with all of us. Thank you so much. Uh, we have so much more breaking news coverage of the war between Israel and Hamas straight ahead. Stay with us. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Primary season is here. If you've got voting questions, we've got voting answers. Visit NBCNews.com slash plan your vote. You'll find when and how to vote in your state's primary election. Visit NBCNews.com slash plan your vote today. Well, we still do not know the specifics of Israel's planned large-scale offensive into Gaza, its leaders have been unequivocal about the operation's broader goals. On Friday after a meeting, the U.S. De Defense Secretary, the Israeli Defense Minister, stated plain plainly, quote, we will destroy the rule of Hamas. We will eliminate the military capabilities of Hamas. We will make sure this threat does not exist on our borders. It will be lengthy. It will be lethal. It will be powerful. And it will be for forever. Earlier today, Prime Minister Netanyahu echoed that sentiment during the first meeting of the emergency Israeli cabinet. During the meeting, he vowed to demolish Hamas. 
The outstanding question is what will an operation like this entail? And more importantly, if it's successful, how can the region build peace out of the destruction of Hamas? Joining me now is Dennis Ross. He's an American diplomat who has worked in multiple presidential administrations, including as U.S. Special Envoy for Middle East Peace Talks under President Bill Clinton and a special assistant to President Barack Obama. So I there's been so much focus on the ground operation, understandably, because we're all waiting for it. But you have spent so much time working in Israel, working in the region. I wanted to ask you just the larger question about what the goal of Israeli leadership and the Israeli government should be at this point. Look, I think the, the key is to understand Israel not only experienced an unbelievable, unprecedented shock uh, that requires them to sort of change in their own mind what the policy has been since 2009. Since 2009, the policy has been, okay, we know who Hamas is, we know what their ideology of rejection is, but we can live every couple of years with having a conflict that is manageable because in relative terms, that cost is less than going back into Gaza. They got out of Gaza, they don't want to go back in. But what they discovered is they, just, they had their own 9-11 only worse because they lost the equivalent of 30,000 here and it's still ongoing. So. There is a sense, and you, 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 the quotes from Gallant, the defense minister, and from Netanyahu reflect the sense, we can't live with this anymore. Mm -hmm. We have ISIS next door to us. You actually have the secretary of defense saying what he saw. That it's worse than. That it's worse yes. than ISIS. So their attitude is, we can't live with ISIS next door. And that's a view, by the way, left to right. So what does it mean in practice? Well, it means decapitating Hamas there, trying to disarm it, demilitarizing Gaza. And then that's going to require, if they have succeeded in removing Hamas, then it's going to require some kind of international trusteeship, some kind of interim administration, which in my mind needs to include maybe the Egyptians, maybe the UAE, maybe some countries from Europe. You're going to have to have a reconstruction plan. It has to be tied to demilitarization. You have to be able to monitor all of the materials coming in. You should plan an election in six to nine months. So you actually produce something very different in Gaza. You know, it's interesting. There was a, a, a video called Whispers in Gaza, which was quite impressive because it was, you had animation and the voices disguised, but you had people living in Gaza who were interviewed and they described what it's like to live in Gaza under Hamas. And the, the stories are, as you might not be surprised, they're horrific. And so if, if you're freed of Hamas, and that remains to be seen, but if you're freed of Hamas, then there's a potential for something really different, but you have to help ensure that you don't just leave a vacuum. We know what it is to change a regime and leave a vacuum. So you really have to begin the planning for the day after before the day after. Even if I understand clearly, you don't telegraph all this now because you're sending a signal to Hamas. And that's the, you don't want to be doing that at this stage. But you really do have to be doing the planning right now and thinking ahead about who could play this role, how do you do it, what are the mechanisms you need to monitor everything coming in, uh, and then how do you ensure there can't be rearmament of whoever is there? In the planning for the day after, and we just heard Secretary of State Tony Blinken speak about his objectives on this whirlwind trip that he's on in the Middle East. You've been a part of a lot of these conversations right. in the past as well. Even though it's not being stated publicly, there are so many private conversations happening. What do those sound and look like as, as the United States is trying to prevent Hezbollah from uh, expanding uh, their incursions, uh, the Houthis in Yemen, who I was just discussing with Elise, other proxy groups, Iran? What do those look like? How do they possibly contain an explosion in the Middle East? So you're obviously operating at several different levels. You have an immediate concern. The immediate concern is the people you're talking to, the leaders you're talking to, they're going to say, look, here's what worries us. How can you address it? Right now, obviously, they're saying, look, we need to ensure that there is some humanitarian corridors for Palestinians so that the pressure on Palestinians, a public that, as I was just saying, they really have very little use for Hamas. You know, how do you ensure that you, you minimize the death and destruction there? And it's going to be hard, given the nature of what Gaza looks like. And I've spent a lot of time in Gaza. Mm -hmm. This is not a place that where fighting is, is easy or you can easily ensure that civilians aren't going to be the victims of this. But that's one level of concern. A second level of concern, especially for all the Arab leaders, will be we're concerned about that, but we also can't have Hamas win. Because if Hamas is seen as winning in some fashion, that means that ideology of rejection also wins. That puts all of us on the defensive. So there is that conversation as well. 
Oh, go. I, I was just going to ask you before I let you go, because it, there was some news this morning that Israel, they have turned the water back on, which, which is definitely a, a positive step. But yet there's still more than two million people who are looking to be displaced, who have nowhere safe to go, power generators. What else do you would you like to see Israel do in this case? So, so Israel identified seven areas in Gaza where they wanted people to go. And then they, they have revised that where they're saying move to the south. There can be areas in the south where corridors can be built uh, so that humanitarian assistance can be brought in to those areas. If you're encouraging people to go to areas, then also facilitate the delivery of humanitarian assistance to them at the same time. It is in Israel's interest to be able to demonstrate we are fighting Hamas. We are not trying to publish the Palestinian people. Now, it's a very hard balance mm -hmm. to strike. As I said, you still have to put this into context. This is ISIS next door. And it's not like when we, when we acted in Mosul, it's not like we were, pre, we were preoccupied with the humanitarian side of that. So you can understand the Israelis are going through something that we went through. The whole world is watching. This is what's happening in Gaza is more visible than what happened, for example, in Mosul or Fallujah. The whole world is watching, which is, is going to have a big impact on the days and weeks ahead. Dennis Ross, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us. So many pieces of writing people should explore and read that you've put out over the last week as well. Uh, Rachel Goldberg is a mother of three children who lives in Israel. Uh, her oldest child and only son is named Hirsch. He's 23 years old. He was one of hundreds of people at a music festival near Israel's border with Gaza last Saturday when Hamas terrorists attacked. Hirsch's family says, according to witnesses, Hirsch and his friends managed to escape by a car until it came under fire. They were forced to stop to take cover in a roadside bomb shelter, which was also attacked by Hamas. It's believed that part of Hirsch's arm was blown off before he was put in a pickup truck and driven toward the Gaza border. It's now been a week since he and the many other hostages have been heard from. Rachel has been writing op-eds and speaking out in hopes of her son returning to her. One particular passage from her New York Times op-ed really stuck out to me. The op-ed is titled, I hope someone somewhere is being kind to my boy. Quote, if he is still alive, how much longer can he survive? His wounds are grievous. I hope someone somewhere is being kind to him, caring for him, attending to him. Rachel Goldberg joins me now. Rachel, I thank know you for um, it's a thank you for being here. Um, and your op-ed was incredibly powerful as a mother myself. I can't imagine uh, how you're feeling right now. Um, I know you're in the car right now after meeting with a group of U.S. senators who are in Israel right now. Uh, what, what can you tell us about that meeting? And was there any hope or information they were able to provide to you? Well, the meeting itself was uh, really wonderful and validating. We have all of us, all of the families of hostages, American hostages being held, have felt uh, that the administration and Congress has been outstanding, uh, very available very moved. Uh, we know they're standing with us. Uh, and what they were to tell us is that they've been meeting with uh, Israeli counterparts and a lot of also meeting uh, people who they can't tell us about. And we respect that. We understand that obviously when you're dealing with very delicate crisis situation, you can't share with everyone what you're doing. Um, and we respect that process. Um, but we're also all, you know, completely traumatized, completely sleep deprived, completely uh, in an unimaginable place. Everyone keeps saying, I can't imagine what you're going through. I keep saying, I can't imagine what I'm going through. So, of course, you can't imagine what I'm going through. Um, we are living, the families of hostages are living in a unit where you live anymore. You can see us and we can see you, but we don't live in the universe that you're in anymore. And um, it's, uh, it's a really tough and painful place. I, I appreciate you telling your story. I mean, it, it requires an enormous amount of strength for you to be out here. So thank you. Uh, I know Hirsch texted you before he disappeared saying, I love you and I'm sorry. And police told you that the last location of his phone was on the Gaza border on Saturday afternoon. Have you I know you've been in touch with U.S. officials. Have you heard anything from police since then or anything from Israeli officials? Uh, Israeli officials have let us know that he is listed among uh, those who were abducted and, and are um, being held hostage. Uh, but that's based on 
the fact that the remains of so many, so many people that they have found, uh, his remains have not been identified among those remains. And um, due to the three eyewitnesses who were in the bomb shelter with him, when um, Hamas came to the doorway and threw in these grenades and sprayed the room uh, with um, machine gun fire, they saw Hirsch and these two other young men get up and uh, be marched out and put on this pickup truck. Um, Hirsch, as you mentioned, has a a critically grave wound, um, having had his arm blown off, his left arm. Um, He's left-handed, by the way. Um, and, uh, we have no idea. We have no idea if he's alive. We have no idea where he is. We've had no, uh, information at all beyond knowing that he was taken. We've been seeing pictures as we've been talking with you here, but tell us in our last moments here about your son. What what do you want people to know about him and how special he is? Well, I think every mother feels that their only son is special. Uh, But for me, he is a gentle, kind, thoughtful, really curious, curious about the world, a voracious reader, a soccer fan, um, a respectful person, and uh, the perfect son for me. And I pray every night and every morning for his return to me. Rachel, we're, we're praying for you and your son and your whole family as well. Thank you so much for speaking with us today, for your courage, uh, for your outspoken uh, words on behalf of your son. Uh, we have another full hour of breaking news coverage straight ahead. Stay with us. It has been just seven days since Hamas carried out the worst terrorist attack on Israeli soil in 50 years, brutally killing women and children, resulting in the most devastating loss of life since the Holocaust. As of today, a total of 1,400 people have been killed in Israel, in addition to 3,500 wounded. In Gaza, more than 2,450 people have been killed and 9,200 injured. And according to the State Department, 29 Americans have also been killed, while 15 remain missing. Now Israel promises a new phase of the war is coming. Hours ago, Prime Minister Netanyahu met with his emergency cabinet and vowed to demolish Hamas. The Israeli Defense Forces said yesterday it is preparing to strike from air, sea and land. Israeli troops and tanks have been amassing on the border with Gaza for days. More than 360,000 military reservists have been mobilized, which for context is more than the total number of U.S. forces in the reserves. The big question, or one of the big questions, is when? Is it hours, days, or longer before the ground offensive begins? We learn more about the ground game strategy overnight, with three senior Israeli military officials telling The New York Times that tens of thousands of soldiers have been ordered to capture Gaza City and destroy the enclave's current leadership. In addition, The Times reports that tens of thousands of Hamas gunmen are thought to have entrenched themselves inside hundreds of miles of underground tunnels and bunkers beneath Gaza City. Israel's approaching ground offensive is further complicated by the fact that there are almost also about 150 hostages currently held by Hamas in Gaza. While Israel has agreed to prisoner swaps in the past, the head of Israel's National Security Council appeared to take that option off the table, saying, quote, Israel will not hold negotiations with an enemy that we have vowed to wipe from the face of the earth. That means a military operation might be the only option for bringing them home. And then there's the question of the impact on the more than 2 million people living in Gaza, ahead of what will likely be a brutal, bloody ground offensive. Israel has ordered 1 million people living in northern Gaza to leave their homes and evacuate to the south. The UN warns that this could be a humanitarian catastrophe. Earlier today, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said he's been informed by his Israeli counterpart that they have turned the water pipes back on in southern Gaza. But there's no power. No food is dwindling. Fuel and medical supplies are running out. The head of Gaza's largest hospital says it has become a mass shelter, with 35,000 people seeking refuge inside. And the population that can leave face a nearly impossible choice. Scramble to flee to the south, which leaves many with no guarantee of safety or survival, or stay in their homes and risk death. 
This morning, we learned the U.S. Embassy in Israel is offering Americans living in Israel evacuation on a ship to Cyprus tomorrow morning. But for the up to 600 Americans in Gaza, the Rafah border crossing between Egypt and Israel remains closed, despite being told yesterday an agreement had been reached to let them through. There are remaining questions about what leverage the United States has to get that border open. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in Cairo today and is working to get Egypt to open the crossing so civilians can leave. This is all a part of a whirlwind trip for Blinken across the Middle East, as U.S. officials seek humanitarian assistance for refugees and do everything in their power to contain this conflict. Because even as we all watch for the beginning of a ground offensive, that is far from the end. In many ways, it could be just the beginning of this conflict. Iran's foreign minister said if the operation into Gaza continues, Iran cannot remain a spectator. To that end, he ordered, the, or the Pentagon ordered a second carrier strike group and fighter jets to the region, not to join the fighting, but to send a message of deterrence to Iran and its proxies in the region, like the terrorist group Hezbollah in Lebanon, where we've seen skirmishes over the border. And a major objective for Secretary Blinken, as he speaks with leaders across the region in the coming days, is to contain this conflict and to make sure the violence between Israel and Gaza doesn't spread wider. Joining me now is National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. Jake, thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon. I know how busy and heartbreaking the last week has been uh, in the White House. I just want to start with the timeline here. We're still all bracing for a full-scale ground offensive. We're, we're waiting for updates from the Israelis. What is your expectation in the White House right now? Is it hours? Is it days? Could, could it even be farther away from that than that? Well, first, thanks for having me on. Uh, to your question, I'll let the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, uh, make any announcements or statements they want to make with respect to the next phase of their military operation. I won't characterize it from here. But we are, of course, in daily, hourly contact with our Israeli counterparts uh, to learn more. Uh, but it's not my place to share that publicly. There are still more than 150 hostages held by Hamas, uh, some of them Americans. How concerned are you about their safety once a ground offensive launches? We are concerned. We're concerned about their safety even now uh, because they're in the hands of brutal and vicious terrorists. And we are doing everything in our power to secure the release of the American hostages, of all the hostages. President Biden has sent hostage experts to coordinate with their Israeli counterparts on recovery efforts. We're working through third countries on potential avenues for their release. And I need to be cautious about how much more I say in that regard, because uh, we are pursuing a number of different pathways. But you'll understand that uh, we need to keep those discreet in hopes that we actually can achieve the safe release of Americans and others, but the president has no higher priority than to make this happen. There's always so much work going on behind the scenes, even when there's not updates being given. Your, your counterpart, your Israeli counterpart, did say this week that there will be no negotiations over hostages. It, I know Secretary Blinken is out talking to countries that talk to Hamas, but if Israel says the channel is closed, could there still be a negotiation, a diplomatic path? Look, like I said, uh, we, I have to be cautious about how I discuss our conversations, <clears throat> both with Israel and with third countries, with respect to avenues to secure the release of hostages. Uh, and I'm not going to characterize Israel's position or how it, it will proceed. I will only say this. We are leaving no stone unturned in trying to figure out a way to get the Americans and all of the other hostages back safely. We're not going to rest until... Uh, you know, we have taken every conceivable effort to make that happen. And if we have anything further to update you on, we will, of course, do so. In the meantime, we're going to keep our heads down and keep working at it. The, the president spoke with Prime Minister Netanyahu yesterday. He's obviously been in very regular contact with him. There were reports this morning in The New York Times that Israel has a specific plan to take Gaza City and destroy Hamas leaders. What is your understanding of what their ultimate goal or end goal is uh, when they're as they're moving forward with this ground offensive? Their goal is a safe and secure democratic and Jewish state of Israel that is not subject to constant, brutal, vicious terrorist attack from the south and or the north or the west or anywhere else. Uh, more immediately, it is to try to uh, eliminate the terrorist infrastructure of Hamas 
and to take out the leaders of Hamas so that they no longer represent a threat to Israel or to the Jewish people. Now, there are then more immediate operational objectives that go into the military planning for how to get there. But fundamentally, the goal is to eliminate the, the threat that Hamas poses to the state of Israel, and they are undertaking a military campaign to make that happen. Hamas, of course, would not exist without Iran. Um, do you think that they can be defeated militarily by a military um, offensive into Gaza? You're right. Uh, Iran, as we have said from the beginning, is broadly complicit in these attacks because for years it has funded, trained, supported Hamas and uh, has, as recently as yesterday, gone out publicly having met with Hamas's leaders and praised what they have done, this, this horrific, barbaric set of attacks that uh, went after women and children, even babies. Uh, and, and this is absolutely unconscionable uh, for any nation uh, to take a stand on behalf of this kind of slaughter. Uh, we believe that Israel can be successful in uh, dealing a, a devastating blow to Hamas. Uh, they are working on that now as we speak, and we are supporting them in that effort because Israel has not just a right to defend itself against this kind of terrorism, but as the president said, a duty to defend itself against this kind of terrorism. Uh, as you know, uh, the United Nations has said, and other health organizations have said, that the evacuation that Israel has called for from northern Gaza is basically impossible, that it would, would uh, pose a significant humanitarian risk. So the other issue, of course, as you know very well, is the fear of people there, many of whom are refugees themselves from past wars, won't be able to return. Are there any assurances the United States has asked for from Israel that they'll be able to return to northern Gaza after the offensive? Well, we are in daily, indeed, as I said before, hourly contact with the Israelis, with the United Nations, with the Egyptians, with the Jordanians, on ensuring that there are safe places for civilians to go, and when they go there, that they have access to the basic needs they have of food, of water, of medicine, of shelter. And we are going to keep working actively, aggressively on that. Secretary Blinken has been in the region. He's in Egypt today uh, working on this issue. Uh, as well as consulting on uh, a range of other matters, too. Um, when it comes to the question of uh, people actually leaving Gaza as opposed to going to safe places in Gaza, we have an active conversation happening with regional partners. We have an active conversation happening with the Israelis. We're not at the point yet for seeking particular assurances of one kind or another. What I will say is that, ultimately, we need safe places for people to go, and then, of course, civilians in Gaza deserve the right uh, to return to their homes. So that's not a question for us, but uh, the conversation is still in the stage of working out uh, where a safe area can be established and how we can ensure that that safe area is fully stocked with the necessary humanitarian supplies. Secretary Blinken is on his way to Egypt, probably in Egypt at this point. Yesterday, we saw reports that the Rafah crossing was not open, even though there was an expectation it would be. Is there leverage, such as military aid or assistance, the United States would be willing to use in order to get that crossing open? The U.S. is going to work around the clock until American citizens who live in Gaza are able to leave Gaza, are able to get safe passage out through that border crossing from Gaza into Egypt. And uh, I don't think we've reached the point where, uh, you know, we have to make threats of the kind I think you're implying. We are going to continue to work it, uh, and, and we have a collaborative uh, uh, conversation going with the Israelis and with the Egyptians, and now it's a matter of just being able to execute a game plan to actually move the American citizens across that border. There has been—the uh, president has repeated many times, as have you, as have other national security officials, that the U.S. is going to offer any support Israel needs um, in terms of assistance, military equipment. I, I know you've said no troops on the ground. Is it possible that U.S. forces could be involved in training in any capacity, or is that something that remains on the table as a possibility? 
Well, the ground offensive and the aerial campaign and the other steps that the Israelis have been discussing, both publicly and privately, that involves Israeli forces, not American forces. And we don't expect that to change uh, as they continue to go after the Hamas terrorist infrastructure. And the United States, the form of support that we are providing is to get them the capabilities they need, including uh, ammunition as well as um, interceptors for their Iron Dome system so that they can continue to protect their cities against Hamas rocket attacks falling down on civilian areas. So that is where our support is focused at this time. I can't speak to every conceivable hypothetical, but I will say uh, that the Israeli operation currently being contemplated is just that, uh, an operation being conducted by Israeli forces, not by American forces. Before I let you go, I, I wanted to ask you about we've seen photos and video of President Biden speaking to the families of American hostages in Gaza. I mean, I've been in the room for emotional conversations he has. You've been in the room for many. Just on a personal level, what, what was that like um, being in the room for that? It, it, it was hard to um, it was hard to to sit and listen to. Uh, people who are enduring the most unimaginable pain, the pain of not knowing where their loved one is, what is happening to them. And it was just an absolutely gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching experience, one that it's actually been difficult for me to tell other people about. And President Biden, uh, you know, he spent more than an hour and a half on the call with those families, listening to them, comforting them, uh, sharing his own stories. Mm -hmm. And uh, honestly, it was one of the most remarkable displays I've seen of his leadership, his compassion at a moment of just absolute torture for these families. And it drove home for me that this isn't about policy or strategy. This is about people and, um, and this conflict. Uh, this brutal terrorist attack we saw, uh, it ultimately comes down to the people that it is, you know, whose lives it has shattered. And we are going to do everything we can to ensure this kind of thing cannot happen again. Jake Sullivan, thank you for your service. Thank you for your heart as you work on all of these challenging issues. And thanks for being with us this afternoon. Up next, I'll speak with the lieutenant colonel from the Israeli Defense Forces about their plan to launch a ground offensive in Gaza while they try to gather intelligence on hostages. We're just getting started in this hour of breaking news coverage, and we'll be right back. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has convened his first security cabinet meeting since the start of the war. He vowed to demolish Hamas and added that Israel's new unity government sends a clear message to the nation, the enemy and the world. The meeting began with a moment of silence for the victims of Hamas attack that killed more than 1,300 Israelis. Meanwhile, Israel has been massing tanks by the Gaza border ahead of its ground offensive. And Secretary of State Antony Blinken is set to return to Israel tomorrow. Joining me now is IDF spokesperson, Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner. Colonel Lerner, thank you for joining me this, morning, this afternoon. I, I wanted to start with some reporting in The New York Times, which is citing three Israeli military officials who say the military is preparing to invade the Gaza Strip in the coming days with tens of thousands of soldiers ordered to capture specifically Gaza City and destroy Hamas leadership. Is that an accurate portrayal of the goal? The IDF is currently uh, preparing, indeed, Jen, to be re ready for the instruction, if received by the government, to go on the assault and continue our mission now of nine days to destroy Hamas, remove them from conducting terrorist activities and using the Gaza Strip as a staging ground for brutal massacres in uh, the state of Israel. You know, Hamas have opened this war. We are going to win it. In the last few minutes, Colonel, we got reporting that uh, IDF fighter jets are currently striking Hezbollah military infrastructure in Lebanon. There's obviously been skirmishes on the border over the last few days. Can you confirm that for us? And, and what, if anything, can you tell us about the fighting with Hezbollah right now, which is obviously happening simultaneously? Uh, so I, I wasn't updated as I, as we were coming in. Indeed, throughout the last few days, we've had several skirmishes on the border, exchanges with 
terrorists launching different types of attacks, uh, um, including anti-tank guided missiles against uh, military positions, against civilians even this morning, even uh, causing casualties. And indeed, there are uh, there is a, a severe concern. So there is a distinct possibility. We did return fire following various attacks today, but I'm not aware, as you said, about um, the strike fighter jets at this time. Maybe during the our interview, I'll get the update and, and I'll let you know. There, there's also been reporting about um, kind of a timeline of attempts to gather intelligence on the locations of hostages, may, perhaps leading to a delay in the operation moving forward. Can you tell us or give us any update about those operations, if you've been able to identify the locations of hostages or had any success uh, in that effort at this point? Jen, the, the 126 hostages that we've identified, and perhaps there may be even more because there are still people unaccounted for, their, their well-being is, of, our, of course, of our concern and our top priority. It's Hamas that is responsible for their well-being now, and they need to bring them home immediately. Our efforts um, to bring them home, I think, are best left out of the screens and out of the, of the views of the viewers, despite, of obviously, the curiosity to know what is actually going on. You know, we have to be very cautious about this sensitive issue. We don't want to um, cause any damage to a potential process that could um, undermine them being returned home. I'm certainly familiar with those sensitivities as well. I think so many people want to know about the the the, the, the whether they're alive. I mean, do you have any sense of how many hostages are alive at this point, even if you can't even go into more details about your efforts? I can't go, I can't delve into details. I can say that we are concerned. I can say that Hamas is accountable for their well-being, and I can say that we're doing everything we can to bring them home. But that's basically where I would like to leave it, just out, you know, out of respect for the families that are you know sitting around, perhaps even watching us, and are in in, in concern. And we need to leave it to the professionals that are trying to bring them home. As you're preparing this this ground offensive, there is, of course, a humanitarian crisis brewing in Gaza. There's reports of a lack of food, of fuel. There were reports this morning, of course, of the resumption of water supply being provided, which, of course, is a good sign. But are there discussions of uh, providing fuel and food to the people there? Um, I, the, I think the basic uh, essential uh, needs are actually available to the people in Gaza. I think the most important thing now is that people evacuate the northern areas and head down south towards the south beyond Wadi Gaza, the wetlands uh, that, that separate the north from south, that would actually enable us to continue to differentiate between the non-combatants, the civilians of Gaza, and Hamas, the terrorist organization. This organization has set up its hub, its control positions, its fortress of terrorism in the heart of Gaza City. And that, for us, means that we need to take them out. We need to destroy those capabilities. We need to seek out and destroy the leaders from Yechia Sinwar, right at the top, who is the prime minister of Hamas, who is, in effect, the mastermind of the massacre of October 7th. And indeed, we intend on doing that, dismantling the entire system of Hamas from Yechia Sinwar, right at the top, all the way down to the terrorists that breached and penetrated our uh, border and butchered the babies in their beds. Now, just overnight, we uh, we targeted and killed Bilal al-Kidra, who was one of those terrorists from the special forces of uh, Hamas, the Nukhba force. And what we did was um, we targeted him. He was actually involved in infiltrating Kibbutz Nirim. So we have good intelligence. We have good operational capabilities. We're gathering even more intelligence from the yeah, the GoPro cameras that they left that, that that were found on their bodies because they are so proud of the massacres and butchering that they were doing, they filmed themselves doing everything. So we have lots of information and lots of intelligence and lots of leads in order to destroy Hamas and their capabilities. Now, this terrorist organization has no regard for human life, Israeli or Palestinian. All of their assets are deeply embedded within the civilian arena. And so, indeed, any military like the U.S. operating in the urban uh, arena, we are doing just like the U.S., trying to differentiate 
identify the targets and kill the terrorists that have that have perpetrated this act. You know, Hamas needs to be banished from the realm of existence. It, it, Colonel, even, even as Hamas is, of course, a horrific terrorist organization, and I think everybody should be stating that, there is a humanitarian crisis brewing in Gaza. If people don't have food, they don't have water, Maybe they have more water now. They have nowhere to go. If they move to the if they move to the south of Gaza, what happens then? Will they be guaranteed to be able to come back to their homes? Will there be a humanitarian corridor provided? Are there is there any other steps that are in you're in the process of taking to help the civilians there? So we're focused on destroying Hamas at this time. And I would say, yes, we've already said that once we complete our mission, people will be able to return home. But I would say what is more important at this time is that people actually go down south because Hamas, they actually tried to to prevent that from happening. They put up roadblocks trying to physically prevent people from going down south uh, to the south of the Gaza Strip. Um, they put out messages trying to encourage people to stay home and, and, and not do what's best for their well-being. So we are focused on that, and indeed that we are in um, open discussions with the various humanitarian organizations that operate within the Gaza Strip. And yes, they are facilitating, and, and we would encourage them also to be part of the mission of evacuating civilians, non-combatants, from the north of the Gaza Strip to the south. There are all of the needs that, are, that exist, uh, shelter, uh, food, water, as you pointed out, that has been, uh, they exist in the south, and there is a relative safety there so that we can conduct our operations and differentiate between Hamas and non-combatants. Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner, thank you. I think it's just worth restating that there's more than two million people there who are not a part of Hamas, innocent civilians who are struggling to survive. Appreciate you joining me uh, here this afternoon. And coming up next, a Palestinian American who has lost fam family members in Gaza this week joins me to discuss the dire situation for civilians on the ground right now as he mourns the loss of his loved ones. We're back after a short break. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Today's news requires more facts, more context, and more analysis. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more. For so many Palestinian Americans watching this war play out without any way to reach their relatives, there is unimaginable agony especially for those who still have family in the region and are getting heartbreaking updates. One of them is Dr. Fadi Judah, an American physician and award-winning poet. He says he's already lost dozens of relatives in the airstrikes over the last week. Fadi Judah joins me now. Fadi, I, I want to first offer my deepest condolences for the loss you've experienced and, and ask you if, how you're holding up and if you've heard any updates from family members in the last day or so. Thank you. Um... No updates, really. I think things are going to get, uh, news is going to become scarcer as there is a full siege, unreliable electricity, and uh, people flooding uh, 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 each other's spaces because they are moving uh, to safer places from the north of Gaza, <clears throat> south or from other bombed places south, and yet they are still being bombed in those places. I really think that it is phenomenal that this continues uh, in, in U.S. media, even though you give me the space, and I thank you, that the IDF spokesperson before me speaks with a straight face, literally says, Gazans have all they need. Um, um, you know, I would like to if you would allow me to say one thing here to start this. I would like to salute all the Palestinian women in the world, wherever they are, Muslim, Christian, whether they wear hijab or not, whether they're secular or not. And I want to salute their sisters in South Africa and all over the world too, 
I want to salute my two my two oldest aunts in, who live in Rafah, both have sweet dementia. And their kids joke with them and they think that they are reliving the expulsion days of 1948. 75 years on. And I want to salute my mother who was born in a tent in 1948, under falling bombs. People need to understand what that means what kind of memory this is for people. I also want to, say, to salute my wife, whose childhood was devastated during Israel's invasion of Lebanon in 1982, which was a war that was also sanctioned by the U.S. administration at the time, for those of us who know or remember. How... I, that was how many babies how many babies were born today in gaza we forget the smallest things how many babies were born yesterday i know there are 500 children killed in in the last week in gaza but there are still some being born what life will those kids have one out of five children in palestine mostly of course in gaza do not make it to the age of five the great black abolitionist ruth wilson gilmore calls this in her research, state-sanctioned premature death. Do we speak about these things? I wanted to have you on today, Fadi, because I think it's so important to speak about these things and to hear about the history and to hear about what people are experiencing on the ground. And it is such a young population as well, as you referenced. Tell me more about, there's so little visibility people have in the U.S. audience of what the conditions are on the ground, what does it look like for people there now? What are they what are they experiencing? I want to ask you, I, I, I don't want to wax about tragic about the situation that is beyond words. The pictures are there. Why are they not on the US media? You know, I'm a father, and we talk about bullying, you know, when the kids grow up. We talk about bullying on social media. We talk about bullying in, you know, physically in schools and what have you. Is this not what Palestinians endure in the U.S. when their Instagram accounts are canceled or God knows where else on, on social media or the lack of visibility that we have even in the news? What, they're available. I'm watching Al Jazeera and other news uh, channels, and I'm getting all the photos. Why can't other Americans get them? Why can't they just get, why do they have to get this just one Palestinian who is grieving so that the message comes across? I mean, well, what, who, who, of us, who of us jam, who of us jam, who of us knows what it's like to, to lose everything in a second now, of course, many of us do, yes, all across the world. But really, to have an entire population lose their, their security, shelter, an idea of survival. There is, there is an expression in Arabic called, to die in a group, to die in a collective is a mercy. This is a kind of an anthropologic moment. People come up with proverbs. Humans have come up with proverbs from these kinds of uh, experiences from a small collective. But to get to the point in the 20th century where one actually lives the meaning of those words, that the Palestinians, what they experience as one, that my grief is not individual, it is a collective, and that we are dealing with this notion of a collective death, not a collective punishment. This is not collective punishment. This is collective death. I want to salute the Jewish people who went to demonstrate, went out to demonstrate against the Palestinian genocide, as they called it yesterday in New York, because it is an attritional genocide. And I wish them more. They, I wish that they grow in number and I wish them to grow in love as I know they have it. Well, we wanted to have you on today because we do want to hear about it and we do want to show the photos and we do want to have real conversations about what is happening in Gaza right now. And we don't want that to be um, 
walk, talked over or walked over. And that's why we want to have this discussion. What else should we know that you wish the American people would know about the conditions on the ground, about what you're experiencing, about what your loved ones are experiencing? I think that people should know that aid workers are being targeted by the Israeli army, including physicians, ambulance drivers, hospitals, those who want to move the rubble and search for the dead. The Palestinians cannot bury their dead, nor can they count them now. I want, you, I want them to know that I, I don't want, I want to be There's no shame in saying this. There are dogs in Gaza. There are donkeys. There are cats. My dog has diabetes, gets his insulin. Are the diabetics in Gaza getting their insulin? Where is the medical community in America? Where is our... When, do we, when will we recognize that we have not seen the Palestinians as equal human beings for decades? When will this farce stop? And I want to ask another question. For the last few months, American media has been so concerned about the most right-wing government in Israel. Some have called, some have come out and said, I will now call my, my Israeli you know, friends or colleagues or people, whatever, this is apartheid. Others have said it's fascist. And there has been all this political pushback from American media, from Jewish American institutions. And suddenly, over one night, we are willing to trust the fabricated lies, shake hands with them in an instant where the American administration speaks a language that sanctions the murder of Palestinians. We can say anything you want about Hamas and all this language. We have said it before about the PLO. We have said it before about Yasser Arafat. It never stops. We have said it about nonviolent movements in the West Bank also before. I don't understand when will we stop and just equal humanity for Palestinians is, I'll say it again, I've said it before, unthinkable for those who are pro-Israel, blindly, Zionist-thinking supporters. Equal humanity is unthinkable. If we truly begin from that standpoint, that Palestinian lives are equal to Israeli lives, peace will happen in a week. But it is unthinkable. And we, we construct so much language, so much language, around the diffusion of the possibility that the, the American audience and society receives the, the Palestinians as equal human beings, and it just walks out of our mind, dissipates, if it ever enters it. This is why we're having this conversation. We want people to see people as equal humans and as humans across the world, no matter where they live and what they're experiencing. And that's why we also ask the tough questions about the humanitarian situation on the ground. But I appreciate you being with us, sharing your heart and your soul with us uh, this afternoon. I'm sure it's not easy to do. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Joining me now is the former United States ambassador to Israel, Tom Nides. Uh, it's great to see you, Ambassador. I yeah. wanted to just start with that conversation because I know you're the former ambassador. You have spent time working around the world, but it is still incredibly hard to hear. Um, and we should hear it and listen to it, what people are going through in Gaza. So how, how do you digest that from your standpoint? How can you not? I mean, you, you hear uh, the voices of, of human beings, kids, children, um, uh, lives, Palestinian lives are as, as equal as any other life without question. No, none of us should anyway question that. I think it's important that people understand how we got here, mm -hmm. okay? Because I think, uh, how can I disagree with the idea of the tragedy that's going to happen in Gaza? Hamas knows exactly what they're doing. They mm -hmm. want this to happen. Just think about this for a minute. The, the actions of Hamas basically was a situation where Every Israeli, it would be like 350 million Americans lost someone at the Twin Towers. Mm -hmm. That is what Israel is going through. It is, is a grieving, they haven't even buried their dead yet. Yeah. This is what they're going through. And the idea that Hamas really cares 
about the Palestinians in Gaza. They're telling them not to leave. They they knew what was going to happen here. They knew the reaction on Israel's part. They should know the reaction. And they don't care. And listen, it breaks my heart. These are innocent people. Every life is important. But make no mistake how we got here. Israel did not do this without being provoked, not only provoked the worst tragedy in the history of the state of Israel, literally without question. I've been on the phone for the last five days talking to not only my former colleagues, but friends that have lost their kids, got killed in the concert, or now kidnapped. And it's not, by the way, it's the whole country. Mm-hmm. And, 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 but I can still be sympathetic. I can still worry. I can still demand a humanitarian resource to be put into southern Gaza, open the bridge, get people out, get them out from uh, northern Gaza. I'm, I'm, I'm there uh, for that purpose of, of expressing that. So, but we should not forget how we got here. I think that's such an important reminder, too. And you mentioned, I think it's hard for people to understand this who haven't spent time in the region. I haven't spent as much time as you, but I've been there 25 times, if not more. I mean, Israel's the size of New Jersey. Uh, Gaza's the size of Philadelphia, I think, is the comparison. They're only about 70 miles apart uh, if you drive between them. This is a relatively small place. Everybody knows somebody who has been impacted. What do you think the people, your friends there, the people in the government you still talk to, what do you think they want to see happen here uh, in, the, in the coming days and weeks? They want to live in a secure place. They do not want to have 280 kids get slaughtered at a concert. Those kids that were there, they're the liberal kids. They're the peaceniks. They went there for the sole purpose of enjoying themselves. These are not hostile people that weren't hostile to the case of the Palestinians. They want this, this Hamas and the terrorists These are jihadists. Hamas's goal is to destroy the state of Israel. Israel wants peace. They don't want to sit around and be in bomb shelters. I sat when I was there multiple times when Hamas was sending rockets to Israel and Tel Aviv. I've watched this. Uh, You know, as someone who spent a lot of time trying to help the Palestinians, both in the West Bank uh, and in Gaza, I care deeply about what's going on. But make no mistake, the country, Hamas has done something that hasn't happened since 1948. The country is united. Don't under, underestimate the power of the emotional connection that Israel has while protecting themselves. Before I let you go in this conversation, is way too short. I just went long with our last guest Please. because of the conversation. Ambassador Jack Lew will hopefully be, a, a future ambassador to Israel, Jack Lew, I should say, will hopefully be confirmed soon. Obviously, there's a lot of diplomats on the ground there working now, but what is his first order of business when to, he gets to the ground? To be uh, a messenger of the president. Listen, one thing you and I, or certainly I believe, that this has been one of President Biden's uh, best moments because he stood up for the importance and security of the state of Israel. He's also going to stand up for humanity of what's going to go on. Gaza. You know him uh, as probably even better than I. He cares deeply about that. And you heard that in Jake Sullivan's voice and his eyes when he talked about the families that the president was talking to in the Oval Office. But we are going to push as hard as we can to save lives, to, to get rid of Hamas. But the, what, what's collectively what Jack's job is, is to be the representative of the president of the United States. And here's a guy, he, the president, uh, is an easy person to represent in the state of Israel. We have to take a quick break, but I want you to stay right where you are. And we're going to keep talking on the other side. We're back with former ambassador, uh, U.S. ambassador to Israel, Tom Nides. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about the political dynamics on the ground, because as we were just discussing, I mean, the people of Israel are reeling. Everybody knows somebody who's been impacted here. Prime Minister Netanyahu is also not very popular in Israel. And there are a lot of people in recent polls who blame him. How do you think that impacts his response here or does it? Well, first of all, we're going to have a lot of time for recriminations, investigations, examinations. There's no question about that. Um, they have created a war cabinet uh, with my friend Benny Gantz, who is, is part of that war cabinet. Uh, they have pushed, I think, some of the most extreme people out of that war cabinet who are making a decision, which is a good sign. Um, the politics of this will play out. And ultimately, uh, we're not talking about that. I was with uh, 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 former Prime Minister Lapid, and he said, listen, I, we can't talk about politics at this mm-hmm. point. Um, but there's no question there's going to be a lot of examinations and investigation on what fundamentally happened, and people will be held accountable, and we'll see ultimately that. But right now is not the time. To now is to get those hostages out, mm. um, g- 
protect the borders, you know, try to do as President Biden is to make sure that Hezbollah and um, Iran does not get into this because a two front war is, is not is bad for Israel. It's bad for America. So that's what they need to be focused on. And the politics of this will play out over time. You have been in so many of these rooms having the private negotiations where the readouts of them are about two paragraphs long and the conversations are hours long. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the hostages because I, and I've experienced this too. You don't say a lot publicly because that can always put at risk bringing them back. But uh, Israeli officials have said in the last 24 hours that they're not willing to negotiate with Hamas. U.S. officials say they are willing to negotiate. Do you think there's a diplomatic path here, or is it more likely a military path to try to get these? Uh, you know, you know, Jen, as, as I think um, Jake Sullivan said, listen, it's the highest priority mm -hmm. for this administration, not only to help get the Americans out, but get the Israelis out as well. So through all the resources, it be it negotiation, military, uh, intelligence gathering, whatever it takes, we've got, these are little kids, these are old people, these are young people, these are soldiers. This is insane in what these people have done. And they're using them as human shields mm -hmm. that I'm sure they put them in the tunnels. So all the means available to the United States, Egypt, the Emiratis, the Saudis, the Qataris, whatever it takes, we should use all of the resources to try to get these people out. And I think that's what they'll do. You've also spent quite a bit of time at the State Department, a very high role there as well. Secretary of State Tony Blinken is on a whirlwind high wire act trip right now through the Middle East, uh, trying to accomplish, in his words, getting the hostages home, supporting Israel, encouraging calm, addressing the humanitarian crisis. What does he need to accomplish, or what are his goals on a trip like this? Well, first of all, it, um, there's probably no person who's better positioned to do what is going on right now than Tony Blinken, mm -hmm. okay? You know him well, and I know him very well. His ability to communicate, his ability to show compassion, his ability to be tough when he needs to. He is the right person at the right time uh, in this job, and, and it's important that he, ha without question, has the president's ear. His job is to communicate exactly what President Biden has communicated, which mm -hmm. is, we have Israel's back. Do not screw around in thinking that we won't have a price paid, those, those other actors out there. At the same time, he's got to work on the compassion part of this, as your, one of your, your guests said, to make sure that the humanitarian quarters are open, mm -hmm. that the young kids and adults have the ability to survive this, because that's important. So Tony has the ability to do both. And because President Biden has done such a good job of setting the table, it's up to the secretary and the White House to make sure that we not only get the hostages back, we protect the state of Israel and make sure the humanitarian quarters are open to protect innocent innocent uh, Gazans. And by the way, 97% of those people are innocent and they should not be harmed, put in harm's way as well. Ambassador Tom Knight, so much to watch, including Secretary of State Tony Blinken returning to Israel tomorrow. Obviously, we're all waiting for the ground offensive to start and lots of conversations to have from there. I appreciate you joining uh, me today. Our breaking news coverage continues after a quick break. Stay with us. That does it for me today. We'll be back here tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 